Well, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We have been in a series called Helper. So we're looking at different aspects of the Holy Spirit. And today's message is titled in the form of a question. You'll see it on the review or in new version. Is the Holy Spirit's supernatural work for today? Much of the evangelical church has incorrectly said no. And there's been a positive shift in the last 25 years, I would say, of evangelicals joining the Charismatics and Pentecostals and recognizing that the Holy Spirit's work did not stop when the last apostle died, but continues to this day. And I want us to look at some scriptures. I want to tell you some stories that will help cause these scriptures to come alive because I think it's really important that we answer that question because if we don't believe that God has the capacity to move today, then we're never going to see him move today. So many people have just cut off much of the work of the Holy Spirit because they've incorrectly uh, interpreted scripture and honestly have interpreted it to their convenience because, you know, when we don't want something, it's easy to explain it away. And well-meaning people have, have done this for whatever motivation, but I've seen a real shift. I talk to a lot of different pastors. I'm friends with a lot of different pastors from a lot of different denominations. And I know they're out there, but I haven't personally met a pastor under the age of 65 who does not believe God moves today in the supernatural now, again, you don't have to send me the profile of someone who does apply that way, but I, I'm just saying there's, there's a big shift. See, the, the, the big difference is two words I want you to be familiar with is cessationism and continuationism. Cessationism believes that the move of the Holy Spirit, the power of God, healing, signs and wonders, manifestations of the Spirit stopped with the last apostle. Continuationists believe that the work of the Holy Spirit continues today. In our church, we believe that. We believe that the work of the Holy Spirit is available for those who want it. Not everybody wants it. And I hope today's teaching will just open your heart. For some of you, it will reopen you to something you knew in the past or reemphasize something God did in the past. And for others of you, it's going to be just an opening of your heart to what God has. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 11 says, A demonstration of the Spirit is given to each person to produce what is beneficial. I want you to notice here a couple of phrases in verse 7. A demonstration of the Spirit. Well, what, are, what is a demonstration of the Spirit? There, there's going to be a description of that here in the passage we're going to look at. But it's given to each person. It doesn't say it's given just to the apostles, just to the chosen 12 plus Paul. It says it's given to each person. I'll note this, that Paul was writing this to the church at Corinth, and there was no apostle present at that church that we know of. And yet he says each person is given gifts to, pr to produce what is beneficial. And now here's some descriptions of those gifts. Verse 8, to one is given a message of wisdom, through the Spirit. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. 
to others a message of knowledge by the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by one spirit, to another the performing of miracles, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another different kinds of languages, to another interpretation of languages, but one and the same spirit is active in all these, distributing to each one as he wills. So you see, this is a scripture of great possibility. A great possibility that the Holy Spirit is moving, and he's moving among people, and he is acting in wisdom, and he's distributing different gifts to different individual peoples, so everyone will benefit. So it is a demonstration of the Spirit is available to you and may be given through you, not necessarily for you, but for the benefit of everyone else. So today, I want to give you some characteristics of the Holy Spirit's supernatural work. But before I do, I need to tell you a little bit about a story that happened to me that will prove that sometimes it pays off to be a nerd. Okay? Sometimes it does. My son signed up for the Hendersonville Rec League basketball. And I didn't want to coach. I was very busy but they kept sending out emails. We need coaches, we need coaches. We don't have coaches, the kids won't get playing time. So I said, hey, I'll sign up to coach and I'll roll the ball out, let these guys go do their thing. No, no big deal. I thought this would be just a casual kind of community experience, get to see friends and neighbors and just enjoy the joy of recreation. That's until I went to the first practice and I got the death glare from the other coaches. These guys meant business, okay? You know, so I said, all right, I know they're taking this seriously, and so for the sake of my team, I will do the same. So we go to the first game, about the third quarter, second quarter, I think it was, there was a substitution that I deemed was an illegal substitution. So I addressed this issue. I had already recruited a high school kid who knew more about basketball to be my assistant, and so I told him to go address the issue and he goes and he huddles with the refs and the ref does not agree with our coaching staff. So we go to the lady who's in charge of the rec league. She is in the gym. She had the keys and she had opened it up earlier that morning and she was the great arbitrator here. And they go to her and she was agreeing with the refs too. And this is where it paid to be a nerd because as my assistant coach was dealing with this, I had actually printed off the packet that they had sent to the coaches, taken a fluorescent marker and marked off the different rules. And so as we were about to lose our case, I, I start waving to the, I was impressing the parents at this point. I said, right here, right here. I got the rules right here. And I came over, we huddled, we huddled up. We saw that where the rules were, where the highlights were. And I said, hey, you 12 year old kid, get back, get your butt back on the seat because the rules say you can't be subbed. Yeah, how many know that just passions get really high at rec league? <laughs> Let the kid play. Okay, I get it. I get it. But the point here is this, is they could not contradict the rules that had been established. You can't just make up rules as you go. You can't say, well, because I'm the ref today, we're just going to decide this is going to be the rule. No, before we all started, something was pre-established 
And what was pre-established kept us safe. It kept us all on the same page. It evened out the field. This is why ancient wisdom is so important to us. Now here in America, we as a government, the government is supposed to abide by the constitution and we kind of argue about how to interpret the constitution, but at least we have this ancient wisdom that we all agreed upon to say, hey, we're supposed to follow this and, and let, let's interpret, let's go back to the original intent. Well, no, let's not do that. Let's go back to the original words and say what, and see what the words say and what the words say will guide our behavior today. Because if not, we're just making stuff up as we go. So it is the ancient wisdom we have in scripture. When the church fathers establish the canon, and you'll learn more about that in August when we offer forward 102, we, we, we talk about how the Bible was put together. The Bible was put together and this scripture was put together to, to be our guidelines so we can know how the Lord moved in the first century and then we can begin to pattern our worship in much of the same way. That's why the first point I want to make today about the moving of the Holy Spirit is that the moving of the Holy Spirit is subservient to Scripture. Moving of the Holy Spirit is subservient to Scripture. I know we don't use the word subservient. I look for a different word, but we landed there because um, that word is communicating that the Spirit is submitted to Scripture and the Spirit is endorsing Scripture at the same time. 1 Timothy, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God. And that word inspired means Spirit breathed. The Holy Spirit breathed out the Scripture. So when God was using the 40 different authors who wrote the Bible. He was using their life experiences and their personality and even their grammatical skills. And the Spirit came and breathed upon those writings. And the church has verified those. The Holy Spirit was involved in Scripture. And that's why Scripture is way more, it's at a whole different level than even the great spiritual literature that has been tested. Scripture alone so the scripture goes on as we read 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, all scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, for training in righteousness. That's why we go back to the scripture and much like I did uh, in that little rec league and said, hey, this is what it says. You can't change it. You have to go by what it says. You have to know the rules. You have to know what God said in scripture. Here's the reason this is important with the work of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will not contradict himself. Okay, so if you hear about something that is attributed to the Holy Spirit and there's no scriptural basis for that, it may not be the Holy Spirit. I'll just say it's not the Holy Spirit. It may even be a familiar spirit, a spirit mocking itself or, or, or mask, masquerading itself as the Holy Spirit. And that type of activity will take you away from Jesus, take you away from the gospel message. Sometimes it takes you away from the community of God. So that's why I just want to say this clearly. If it's not in the scripture, don't follow it. Is, is that okay? And, and, and I don't know why that's so hard to apply. But if we cannot find it in the scripture, 
you know, then, then we shouldn't follow it. It doesn't matter how dramatic it is. It doesn't matter how exciting it is. It doesn't matter how many people verify it. It doesn't matter how it makes you feel even. If you can't find it in Scripture, th there's no use participating in it. Now, I write my sermons days ahead of time, but there's always like this one illustration I'm waiting for at the end. So I, I got this illustration. It came last night, and um, it came to me painfully. Because I went out to eat with my wife and, and my family, a couple of my family members. And for the first time in my experience, we went to one of these restaurants that serves Nashville hot chicken. All right? This is becoming kind of a famous characteristic of Nashville, this like spicy chicken that they, they, they put every herb, every spice possible to make it so hot, so hot. So we're, we're, we're ready to order and... Beth says, I think I'll take the mild Nashville chicken. And then Scott and Shelby, who were with us, Scott said, I'm not getting hot chicken today. I'm going to get something just milder. And so trying to be the macho guy, I said, I'll take the hot chicken. And he said, well, what, what degree? The hottest you got. I'll take the hot chicken. So he brings me, and now, and now in full disclosure, I guess it wasn't the hottest because there's some level that only the legends have eaten. But I got the hottest of the three categories here. So they give me the chicken. And, you know, the first bite was quite a shock to my palate. I mean, it woke me up a little bit. Second bite, I started feeling it in my nose. Like my nose started tingling and I had to get extra napkins and kind of take care of that. My eyes started watering about the fifth or sixth bite. By the, by the, about the tenth bite, my, my, my brow was sweating. My eyes were watered. I was pale. These people on the fourth row here, they're shaking their head in agreement. This is not an exaggeration. I mean, it was the closest thing to a near-death experience I've had in a few years. So not, not smart. But I started thinking, you know, so, I can see how someone could take that experience and connect it erroneously to the power of God. And they could say, I was in Nashville and I felt God come upon me. And it was the hot chicken anointing that came on me. And when the hot chicken anointing came on me, I began to feel fire in my mouth. And when that hot chicken anointing came on me, my sweat began to come on my brow. And when that hot chicken anointing came on me, I began to feel it even in my nose. My eyes started watering. That hot chicken anointing. And guess what could happen? Then I could start a, uh, come on, brother. I could start a hot chicken anointing conference. And people all over the nation could come to Nashville to talk about the hot chicken anointing. And then I could write a hot chicken anointing book. And I can make millions of dollars. And then we can start a group of churches known as the hot chicken churches. That we're just brothers and sisters. We're going to come and we're going to, our mouths are going to come on fire and our eyes are going to water. And we're just going to experience the hot chicken anointing. How does that sound, right? But here's the problem. That's not in the Bible. Okay, you see what I'm saying? There, there's all this stuff. People, people make up all this stuff. And, oh, you know, and I, I don't even want to give, give 
credence to some of these things. I don't really hear about it that often, but for the last 20 years or so, I've always been around the power of the Lord and churches that believed in that. I just heard of stuff, and, and, and well-meaning people, I'm like, where in the scripture is that? Okay, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be haughty. I'm trying to pastor you right now. If it's not in the scripture, then there's no use. It's a waste of time. And I found that people who chase those non-scriptural things, that, and the only thing they can say is, well, it's a sign and wonder. Okay, maybe we, could, we can make this big, broad brush, and maybe, but probably not. Because most of the time, and I'm generalizing here, is people aren't excited about the gospel message. They're not excited about the cross. They're not excited about the, the resurrection. They're not even excited about the Holy Spirit. They're excited about some manifestation that's not even in Scripture. So I just, I just say, come on, let the Holy Spirit be subservient to Scripture. It's confirmed by Scripture, and it points us to Scripture. When I was a kid, I, I was really interested in the Grand Canyon, interested in it. And when I got my first apartment, I didn't have much money to decorate my apartment. I was at the mall, and there was a picture of the Grand Canyon Maybe it was Walmart. I can't remember exactly. So for like five bucks, I got like a picture of the Grand Canyon. It had something inspirational back when everyone used to have those type of pictures on their wall. And if you still have those type of pictures on your wall, it's still cool. So just go with it. Go with it. I mean, you know, just, if you love it, if you love it, just go with it. Don't, don't, don't let anyone else talk you out of it. But I had this picture of the Grand Canyon on the wall. And I, I thought, man, that's beautiful. And, and I read a little bit about the Grand Canyon, and, and I was at Six Flags one time, and they had this little IMAX theater where you went in, and all around you was a screen, and remember, it was showing pictures of the Grand Canyon, and you could see the shadow of the helicopter at the bottom, and you felt like you were on the helicopter ride of the Grand Canyon. That was pretty cool. It's pretty cool. But somewhere in high school, I, uh, I know I'm getting my sequence wrong now, but somewhere in high school, I'd forgotten about my first trip. I thought my first trip was in 97, but it was in 92. I actually went to the Grand Canyon and actually got to see it. And as much as I had studied it and looked at pictures of it and even been in an IMAX kind of film, it's a total different thing to see it face to face or to see it in real life. So words can't describe. It's just different, isn't it? I mean, we could... We can talk about the Grand Canyon. We can look at pictures of it, but not, not until we're there do we just fully understand what it is. And I thought about this in our relationship with Jesus is that we're doing our best, guys. We're, we're searching the scriptures and, and we're, we're meeting with the church community and, and we're, we're praying. We're trying to hear from the Holy Spirit and, and we're, getting, we're doing pretty good. We're getting pretty close. But until we see Jesus face to face, we're not going to be perfect. And even when we see him face to face, we're not going to be perfect in the sense like the cults say, like we're little gods ourselves. No, but when we see him face to face and when we're in the presence of holiness, sin is gone. Sin eradicates. Sin cannot stay in his presence. So therefore, his blood, his death covers us. And we're in holiness there. And there in his presence, we have everything we need all sufficiency right there in his presence. And this points to why today we have spiritual gifts. We have spiritual gifts today because number two, it points to our perfection, to perfection tomorrow, not our perfection, 
but the perfection of Jesus that we will see tomorrow. Now, cessationists like to use part of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 to incorrectly uh, try to communicate that prophecy is over and that tongues are over or words of knowledge are over. And, and this is the scripture that they incorrectly interpret. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8 through 10. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. And as for languages, they will come to an end. They will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. I want you to think about that. That's, that is true, and it's true today too. We know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfect, perfect comes, that's Jesus, the partial will come to an end. Now, cessationists have conveniently, and this started with uh, a guy named Warfield at Princeton in the early 20th century, have said, well, the canon is perfection. The, you know, the Bible is perfection. The Bible wasn't put together until 400 years after Jesus ascended. Um, I think that, I, I know that that's not the correct interpretation of it. Perfection is Jesus. And so now... Because I'm not perfect, and I haven't been made perfect, and I haven't seen Jesus face to face in the eternal life, so it is that I need knowledge. I have limited knowledge. I do. I have limited knowledge, even though we study, and I have limited knowledge. But sometimes there's a word of knowledge that comes to me, and I have new insight into Scripture I didn't have before. You know, there... There's opinions I have that are based off scripture, based off life experience that are, are good. But you know what? If there may be a word from God I have for Eric and God may want to speak through me to Eric and we call that a prophecy. And the reason that a prophecy may come is because the perfect hasn't come yet. And so when Jesus and the Holy Spirit speaks through me. It's a touch of his perfection. It's a touch. It's God. God speaking through me. Are you kidding me? Do you know what I think? Do you know what I've done? He's speaking through me. His Holy Spirit speaking through me because I'm imperfect and the perfect hasn't come. And someday when we stand before Jesus, we won't need to prophesy anymore because he'll be right there to tell us exactly what. I mean, we're right, we're right in the middle of God's will. We don't need a prophecy about God's will. We're in the middle of it. We won't need to go search for a special word of knowledge or word of wisdom because we're in the presence of the all-knowing God. We're in the presence of the all-wise one and, and he's just right there with us. There, there won't be a need to interpret a spiritual language because everything will be clear. The perfect is there. So it is that the fact that someday we're going to be in a perfect world and today we're in an imperfect world means we need an infusion of the power of the Spirit. We need the kingdom of God to break in. And we call this, I'll probably teach on this in two weeks, the already not yet kingdom of God. I preached on that last June, but you guys were like at the lake and out of town, kind of like this Sunday. And so not all of you heard it. So I'll probably preach it again. I'm feeling led to. The already not yet kingdom of God. And I'll tell you, I'll remind you what this means. Is the kingdom is already here because Jesus came and changed everything but the kingdom is not yet fully here until he comes again. And so it is that in the future kingdom, there will be no more sickness. There will be no more death. 
There will be no need for hospitals, walk-in clinics, doctors, or nurses because all will be well and there is no death or decay in the future kingdom. And so what happens is, is the kingdom breaks in today. It breaks in through scientific breakthroughs. I believe that. It breaks through in through the care of a doctor. And it breaks in through the supernatural power of God that heals because, you know, we pray and we believe God for healing. I prayed with a man this morning that needed healing in his arm. It wasn't a big issue, but I, I believe God can heal him today. I believe God can heal him before he goes to the doctor again because Jesus is a great physician. I can't make it happen because if I could, I would. If I could make it happen, I'd go clear out the hospitals if I had the power. But what we do is we pray, God, let your not yet already kingdom of God break into this situation Come, Holy Spirit, come break into what's happening right now. Almost every week I visit people in the hospital, visit people here in the church. Last week we had an, one of our senior citizens who was in the hospital. It wasn't a complete, it wasn't a life-threatening surgery, but, you know, when you're in your late 70s, it's a serious situation always. And it was a heart issue. And she was at a good hospital, and she had a good cardiologist, and she had the love of her family, and she was in good shape. But I went and prayed with her. And I came and we honored those doctors and we honored those nurses. And I found that most of them are believers and they're trusting God too. And I encouraged her to go through the procedure. But right there in that hospital room, I said, let's pray right now. Let's pray. Let's ask God to be part of this. Let's call upon the presence of the Lord to be with you as you go under anesthesia. Let's ask God for this outcome to be better. Let's believe if there was a problem yesterday that that problem's gone today. Let's believe for the presence of the Holy Spirit to be with you. And so we prayed. We called upon the great physician and the prayer ended and, and I left and she went through the procedure and later on that night we talked. And she told me, and I, and I say this as an instructive method. I'm not trying to brag on me because it's not me. Believe me, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. She said, Aaron, when you were here today, I felt God's presence so clear. And my daughter, her daughter was there just sitting in a chair, didn't say much. And she said, she said, Mom, I felt God when we prayed. You see, the kingdom of God broke into that little hospital room. The kingdom of God came to a place. The touch of heaven was there. This is the power of God. The power of God is not a story in the past. The power of God is a story that's unfolding right now. We are still in the story. God's power is not this intellectual concept that we Remember historically, it's the unfolding of his story right now. It's when he decides in his sovereign will to break into our situation, to break in with a timely word, to break in with a healing, to break in with an infusion of power to go to Costa Rica and to share the gospel with kids. It's when he breaks in and he causes you to lay aside your selfishness and instead of watching that ball game or watching that TV show you like, to turn it off and go Say hello to a neighbor who may be lonely. That's the power of God. The power of God helps you love your kids more than yourself. The power of God hits every part of your life. It causes you to live a sacrificial life because you're grateful for the kingdom. It causes you to live a life not of selfishness, not of just trying to attain more power for yourself, but it's a life of sacrifice serving others. It's a life where you realize you're building the church and you're building people. This is the power of God. Everything we say, everything we do, the kingdom of God is breaking in. So you might say, well, Aaron, what about all the counterfeits? 
that we've seen here in, in the United States of America. You may remember watching Inside Edition in the 1990s and someone faked a healing. Or you might have remembered one of these bozo preachers who had an earpiece, you know, and they're listening to something and they're like, someone has a back issue over here, the lady in the strike. You know, and that, that, that stuff is disgusting to me. It really is. If you, and it, hopefully you don't know about that, but some of you may remember that. Well, you know, let me just comment on this. When, when the occasions when I use a $50 bill, it's very rare, small bills. Often vendors today take these crisp $50 bills and they hold it up to the light. Sometimes they have a special lighting to make sure it's not counterfeit. Why do they have to do that? Because there's a real $50 bill out there and someone is counterfeiting it. And I say to those hucksters who have faked the power of God for financial benefit or for fame or whatever, all that points to is there's a real power of God out there. There's a real moving of God. All over the world, there's stories, current day stories, especially in the third world, especially of people who don't have the means we do, who are much more reliant on the power of God. And there's stories here in America also, even though they're, they're more rare, and I'll admit that. What's my point today? My point today is I just want you to have open hearts, not to be cynical, not to have hard hearts, not to turn your back on the power of the Lord, not, not to interpret scriptures for your convenience because that's what's happened. Interpret scriptures so you can marginalize the Holy Spirit. So you could just say, Holy Spirit, you're, not, you know, you're for those people. You're not for me. I think that God wants you, God wants you to have an open heart to all that he has. A lot of you know that I've had Vanderbilt basketball tickets for a lot of years. I need this persecution that's enduring hardship. I'm not really a Vanderbilt fan, but I like to go to the games. I go to the games because I take my boys, we spend time together. I see some of you at the games and I enjoy them. I root for them, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not really emotionally invested in them. Um, but it's fun to go. And, and we've seen some great players there. We saw, um, um, who's the guy that plays for the Golden State, the, like the best basketball, Seth, Seth Curry. I could, Steph Curry, sorry. See, I told you I'm not that big of a basketball fan. Steph Curry. When he played for Davidson, we saw him. We didn't know he was Steph Curry then. He was just a guy who shot pretty good. We saw him play. We saw Joe Kim Noah play for Florida, who's been an all-star. This last year, we saw Ben Simmons for LSU, who was the number one overall pick, and he was amazing. It was fun to watch him. So that was pretty fun. But I'll tell you something that was a lot more fun than that. One of our 242 nights, I was walking through the back parking lot, I was dressed kind of like I'm dressed right now. And one of the high school kids challenged me to a one-on-one -on -one basketball game. So we started playing one-on-one, -on -one, and before I knew it, the whole youth group and some of the sponsors were gathered around to watch this game. And man, I played hard. And I was playing in shoes kind of like these, kind of like some casual loafer shoes, and I ruined those shoes that night. I was soaking wet, but I had a blast. And you want to know who won that game? None of your business. Because it's really not about winning, right? 
And plus, a good pastor would not want to, you know, humble one of his parishioners. So, yeah. But it was a lot of fun. I'm going to tell you, it was more fun doing that than driving downtown and watching these other guys from the nosebleed section where I sit or at the bottom, the best seats there. It's a lot more fun to play than to watch. And when I think about the supernatural power of God, here's the last point. It moves through everyone, not just the original apostles. The supernatural power of God moves through every person. What do I mean by apostles? I mean the 12 plus Paul. I I do note that through Peter, through John, through James, some remarkable things happen. But I want to show you some scriptures of other people who were not apostles that the Holy Spirit moved through in power. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. says, after this, the Lord appointed 70 others. Just in case you needed help, 70 is more than 12, right? Okay. And he sent, them ahead of him, he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. And then some important things happened, verse 2 through 8. But verse 9, he said this, Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you, that break in of the kingdom of God. Stephen was not an apostle. He was a deacon. In Acts chapter 6, verse 8, it says, Stephen full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Philip was another great man of God, though not an apostle. Says the crowd paid attention with one mind to what Philip said as they heard and saw the signs he was performing. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. When Paul was writing the churches in the region of Galatia, and he was trying to make a point about faith instead of works, he says, so then, or writes this, so then does God supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by the work of the law or by hearing with faith? Notice what he said. Does God, this is so common, does he work miracles among you? Well, he did it by faith. That's the answer, but it was such a common occurrence. Miracles were happening in that first church. I'm going to close with this scripture, and it's a scripture that I just challenge you to meditate on. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19 says this, Don't stifle the spirit and don't despise prophecies. Verse 21 is not on the screen, but my notes say, But test all things. That's what it says after that. So don't, don't stifle the Spirit. Don't say, ah, oh, the Holy Spirit's not for me. He's not for us. Yeah, your Holy Spirit. Or prophecies, that's just, uh, that's weird. Don't, don't do that. Instead, test them. Test to see if it's of the Spirit. Test to see if the prophecies are from God. But don't stifle them. Don't ignore them. Don't marginalize them. Don't belittle them. Don't cut them off from your life. That, that's not a good thing. That, why, why would you cut off God from your life? Right? I need all of them.